and welcome to The Raw Bar. I'm Goddess Cecilia, sexuality and pleasure educator slash consultant. I've invited my friends and colleagues to sit, snack, and get real and probably a little salty about sexuality and pleasure. We've also saved a seat for you. Grab a drink, something to munch on, and your willingness to explore and experience something new and pleasurable. to another episode of Raw Bar. I'm Goddess Cecilia, sexuality and pleasure educator and consultant, sex toy sales lady, ready to talk about some fun stuff. Okay. So, everybody, please welcome Kate Murray, aka Velvet Eclair. She's one of those people who's ready to place her bio replace her bio with a bullet point list. She's based in Orlando, Florida, and does a ton of varied work revolving around storytelling, communicating, and intimacy. Emerging from the pandemic with a renewed focus on acting and teaching, she also has a background in burlesque and sexuality education. She's embracing the trend of November this year, which I love, working to prioritize what lights her up and saying no to the things that don't. Yes, I'm trying. <laughs> and you know what? But that's the best. I think that that's the best that most of us can do is try. Right? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So I kind of want your origin story. How you and I met was at Sex Week Summer Camp, as many of, of the other guests have been on, <laughs> who've been on here because it's <laughs> mainly been the squad. <laughs> um, featuring the squad. Yes. And I don't remember the exact moment when, like, you and I met. I just remember being like, this person's cool. I Yeah, I don't remember, like, saying, oh, hello, my name is Mel. Like, I don't remember saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that. I remember, I think you did some speaking with Wakshin when we were there. Okay, or, like, yeah. involved, mm-hmm. like, I think at the camp. Um, and then we had, I think, I think Colby was our common factor right I think Colby yeah yeah she and I like bonded and you already knew her and then Mm -hmm. we didn't talk a ton at camp but I know like then when we went to Woodhall that was when everything yes yes exactly that was the defining moment of a little bit of trauma for some of us (laughs) goddamn job but I knew that you had um, you had a podcast mm-hmm. that focused on the burlesque community and that you were also a burlesque performer. And then I think eventually I also learned that you were also doing like belly dance and I was like, oh my God, me too. And like, so how did you get into performing and burlesque? And yeah, it's like you're basically your like origin story. So, I mean, performing is actually something that's kind of, I always say the lame thing where it's like in my blood because mm-hmm. um, my parents met doing a production uh, of Camelot down here in Florida. I didn't know that. Like they're both, they were both actors. They don't act anymore, but they met, my dad uh, was playing King Arthur in the, in a production and my mom was Morgan Le Fay. So she was like, like witch or whatever. So they met doing that. And then, so like when I was growing up, my mom had stopped acting, but my dad was still acting. So I was like the kid backstage all the time. Like, 
during rehearsal, probably being really obnoxious, to be honest, but whatever, <laughs> I was here, so fine. <laughs> and um, so I was acting throughout school, but I was living in Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin. Mm, mm. The cheese and the milk. Hello. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Hello. Right. So, you know, we didn't have a ton of opportunities. Like we had our local things um, and whatever. And I also have a big passion for traveling. So I, so then I kind of like started traveling more and not doing a ton of performing, but I was actually living in Paris with my mm. ex and, and like my ex is French. So like I was trying to kind of like create a life for myself a little bit, yeah. but I didn't really speak French. So it was like really hard. And I found on meetup.com, I found this amazing group of women called Burlesque Milan. And it was Americans who were living in, you know, that had lived, been living there for a long time. And, or they were asking for help doing social media in exchange for free classes. And I enjoy free things. So I was like, yes, absolutely. And so they became my first troop, my first family. They were my first guests on my podcast that I did. Like oh. I went through my squad, you know, at the time. Yeah. And so it just kind of went from there. That troop no longer officially exists but we're all still mm -hmm. friends and we've all gone on to do other things. And so burlesque has been a part of my life since 2015, but yeah, to varying degrees, I will say, like sometimes I'm really involved in it, sometimes less. So I've kind mm -hmm. of moved into like, I really enjoy hosting and producing recently, but now I'm kind of in a, in a, in a phase where I'm more interested in some other things. And you know, mm. being a Ram seven and being a multi-passionate person, I, I really, I ebb and flow a lot with, um, yes. with my passions. And so I've learned, or I'm trying to learn to just accept that and to roll with it instead of fighting again. Right. I feel like there's like, we're, we're taught, right. Growing up, there's this whole idea of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. Like, what is the thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life? And you're just like five years old, like, I have no fucking clue, you know, what I mean? like there's, and there's so much life. And then you, you end up an adult and you're like, oh, there's so much that I can do. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And like, you can change and you can evolve along with it. And it doesn't have to always be the same thing. And, and yeah, it's kind of an interesting thought. Yeah, exactly. And I think like for all the, I mean, cause I am an elder millennial as I think you are too, right? Same. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So the elder millennials, um, like as much as this is terrible, right? As much of it is terrible to be an elder millennial and we have a lot of problems. This is one thing I am, you know, I'm thankful to have, mm. you know, the opportunity because like, you know, I look at like my mom and, and, and don't get me wrong. My mom is very happy. She's a teacher and she loves her career. Well, mm. she loves the children. She doesn't so much <laughs> love the and all that bullshit, but. But like, she's been in that career for like 30, 40 years. Like that's like mm. one track. And I just, not that you couldn't do that in previous generations. Of course you could. But I do feel like it's a little more acceptable. It's a little more difficult, but it's acceptable to like, I kind of bounce around a little bit, you know? And even yeah. though my mom scowls at me, like, I feel like I'm not the only one who's doing this, you know? Right, right. You can, you're not like, well, the only person who you can give multiple examples of like, so many people are doing it. And even people like realistically, wouldn't you say that even the people who have their steady like jobs are also doing multiple things anyway? Yeah. Some because they have to, but some just, right. you know, like because they want to and they, we have like these passions and, and side hustles and 
or you know it's a whole other topic about how we have to monetize everything but i won't irate i mean we can <laughs> we can there's always time for that i'm just gonna stop parmesan in my mouth instead <laughs> so oh you know like well i feel like i didn't really i don't remember when i really learned about burlesque i always thought it was like beautiful and like there was always a lot of like crossover in my mind especially being in belly dance that is this very like performative act mm -hmm. obviously rooted in specific cultures but there is this like sensuality that kind of comes with it and being able to like feel really like proud of your body and like its abilities to do things but i also know there's like so many misconceptions about burlesque Right. Like, so what do you think are some of the like really common ones? Sure. Oh man. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I was thinking, you know, I love the way you put that about like, you know, celebrating and breaking or just like accepting and, and not just your body, but what your body can do and all of that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a nice way to think about it. Because also, you know, I think that one of the things the two have in common is this kind of embracing of like femininity and not mm -hmm. exclusively by any means right? Like, obviously, like, we have a lot of non-binary folks. We have a lot of, you know, masculine presenting folks. We have a lot of everything in, um, yeah. in burlesque and belly dance too, but there is kind of that, that root of like embracing something that is not always embraced, right? This, mm. this nature, uh, especially relating to our bodies, but yeah, misconception wise, they're definitely, oh my gosh. I mean, I think a lot of people just like you, like they don't know what it is or like you before, not you know, but, mm. um, just not really sure what it entails. Christina Aguilera mm. and Sheriff movie didn't do us any favors. <laughs> um, you know, I never saw it. I mean, it's fine. Like, I mean, it's, they're talented. It's a fun, like, coyote ugly type of, it's not really like coyote, but like just the I idea of like- I haven't seen that one either. Well, that didn't help at all. Um, I mean, it's a fun movie. I enjoy the musical numbers. Like, they're talented. I think Stanley Tucci's in it, and I will watch anything that Stanley Tucci does ever. Oh. Um, I think. Am I thinking about the right movie? I could be. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm yelling at the screen right now, like, no, you guys, it's not that. Okay. Yeah, Ginny, Ginny knows. Oh, hi, Ginny. It, it is. It's a, it's a fun movie, but it's not burlesque, right? Okay. What they're doing is not burlesque. What they're doing is cabaret. There was already, there was already a cabaret movie and musical out there, so they couldn't call it cabaret. So. Right, yeah. right. Anyway. Sorry, I go off on a lot of tangents. Oh, good. Confirmed that Stanley Tucci is in burlesque. That was great. Nice. I love him so much. He's pretty amazing. So yeah, that movie didn't do us any favors because now everybody's like, oh, no, Christina Aguilera. I'm like, no, no, no. I cannot sing and I don't look like her. <laughs> so there's two strikes. But then, you know, and then you have the other hand where people think it's, ju it, it, it's just like stripping. And I don't want to say just stripping because stripping is a is an amazing art form, and, oh, and strippers, yeah. strip club strippers are freaking fantastic. And I can't do what they do, you know. And like, they have full on competitions. Good lord, it's amazing. Yeah, these competitions yeah. need like skills. I mean, not only physical skills, but like the job is hard, right? And mm. even when you're off the stage, like it's it's a it's a job, and it's um, and I have so much respect for strippers and sex workers and all of that. And so there's a lot of conversation in our community. Like, do we call ourselves strippers in the burlesque community? Mm. Because we often do take off our clothes. Like that is mm. an element of stripping. And when we say that we 
don't want to be called strippers is that because we think we're better than them, you know, but are we allowed to take that word because it doesn't belong to it? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a nuanced discussion and I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. Your question, like, like, I do think that is a misconception, right? That people, you know, they think about, you know, a, a raunchy stripper, which some burlesque is really raunchy and fun. And oh, yeah. Some people also think about Dita Von Teese, right? Who is like mm. the queen of classic style, but like this new burlesque. She's probably the most yeah. popular, but she does a very distinct style of burlesque. And there's so much more than that. Oh, so, oh I didn't know that. Yeah. That so sense. I just like in, in, a, in a summation to, to your question, I think people just don't realize how varied it is, right? And how mm. much variety burlesque we use as a word to try to encapsulate something that is so wide ranging. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. It's so interesting because I feel like the conversations about the comparisons between like belly dance or it's, I know it's, there's a shift in what belly dance is being called right now. It's starting to be called Menat. I don't know if it's like how you pronounce it, but it's like, it stands for Middle Eastern, North African, Hellenic, and Turkish dance. So it tries to like encompass the whole, you know, varied cultures and like that's what yeah well, uh, i want to say that it was mainly it's being kind of pushed forward by a lot of the like dancers of color you know because mm-hmm. yeah. they exist <laughs> and are, are trying to you know gain the same sort of like respect but i feel like there's a lot there was a lot of conversation about the comparisons between the dance styles and mm-hmm. like stripping and sex work and mm-hmm. i feel like in, at least in more recent years there's been this sort of like reckoning almost with like, how can we be in this dance and call ourselves like feminists of any kind if we're going to then be like, but we're not, you know, like not saying like, oh, you know, actually this is is not the type of like dancing we're doing, but in a really like in the past, it used to be very dismissive of like, oh, no, no, but we're not strippers. And it's like, yeah, the language has really, the language and the tone, I feel like has really changed recently. Yes, exactly. I feel like it's a reckoning is a good, a good way to put it. Right. I mean, of course, we're seeing that in our greater culture at large, at least maybe not as much as we wish we were seeing, but we're seeing it some communities more than others, but definitely in this world. Yeah. There's this, like, I think there used to be the shame attached with it, you know, like I do burlesque Mm -hmm. and I, to be honest, I still find myself saying it when I'm explaining it to someone like from my muggle world or something, I do burlesque, but it's really classy or I know my burlesque is not classy. What am I talking about? But like, I'll I'll, try to qualify it, you know, I'll try to like, be like, Oh, but it's not that, you know, I mean, yeah, better or worse. Hey, have you heard of SHIP, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults? You can find us online at weknowship.org. We provide the sex education you deserve, and we know sexual health includes pleasure. I feel like it becomes so, like, so slippery because there is this, like, level of like you want to respect the work that they're doing because it is it i i do also feel like it is such a different level mm-hmm. of skill <laughs> and i'm like that's not that's not my level of skill you know what i mean like overlap style is i just walk around and make faces like that and sometimes take off clothes like that's 
that's how I roll. And I don't know, I'm curious for you too, because like, you know, working, doing the work that you do, because I actually used to, you know, a long time ago for another company, I used to sell adult products as well. And, uh, with, you know, at like parties and stuff, I used to do similar things, not as well as you, but but I did find at the time that I was doing a lot of qualifying. I'd be like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we're selling this stuff, but you know, we focus on, and at the time, even like, I was like saying like monogamy and like stuff like that, you know, to enhance Mm -hmm. marriages and really trying to like downplay it so that it didn't seem, you know, it wasn't like lumped in with like, yeah, like sex work and other things. And I'm right, right, right. Have you ever found that in your journey too? Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's this like trying, the way we try to like normalize it is to try to like focus on, oh, but we're like helping marriages and we're helping Mm -hmm. keep couples connected, but it's like specifically (laughs) monogamous, heterosexual, more likely than not white, you know, couples, Mm -hmm. like realistically, that's, yeah. that's the images that are often portrayed, right? In a lot of the, in a lot of the social media and a lot of advertising and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So otherwise it becomes like, oh, it's like a specific kind of fetish. And it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just people in a relationship, but whatever, you know, and it, there, there is a lot of that. And I remember, have you ever done a, a SAR, the SAR? I wanted, I've been wanting to for a while, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't not I mean I didn't need to do it but I was like I really want to do it because I think it it was really interesting and there was a a a point that came up about like do you consider the work that you do sex work and I was like no and then I was like wait a minute you know like it was a lot about like values and like how the kind of like value that we've placed not necessarily like monetary value but definitely bad but also like good bad you know, like right, wrong kind of values and like how society at large has like really affected the way that we talk about sex work and other forms of like the work, (laughs) you know, like, oh, you know, like that's so interesting because, and I really had to like kind of get a bigger umbrella almost in a way, you know, like I really had to think about it really differently. Like, oh, we're all really like in this industry, in this field, and there's so much crossover, mm-hmm. but yeah, and it's and it's so and like realistically, it's so freaking hard to like shut off the like negative, right, wrong shit. So oh yeah, it's like an ongoing journey. But yeah, that that's really interesting that they asked you, you know, like that, that was a question and yeah, you know, unsureness. Like I agree, I, I really know what to say, and why is that? Is it because I have values attached to it or is it because I'm trying to respect the other category? Like, I don't know. Right. Right. And maybe it's a little of both, right? Like it could be a little of both. Cause I think it is, it is a very complicated, it's a complicated question. <laughs> so you had said that, you know, like your type of burlesque is that you walk around and you make faces. <laughs> I live my life. Right. My whole life is eating cheese yeah. and Ooh, that's why I need to change my tagline too. I like it. I like it. What have been like some of your favorite performances or even your favorite like roles that you've done mm. in like non-burlesque, you know, oh, shows? <laughs> like plays in the theater and such. That's a good question. Well, I, I started a show down here and just kind of in general, it's been my favorite, but there's a specific one too. So I started a burlesque show that actually mixes burlesque with 
dramatic readings of terrible smutty fan fiction. <laughs> oh yeah, Mark is here. He says Congress at camp. Yeah, so Mark, that's here. I used to work with him in France. And yeah, nice. this was like one of the like beginnings of my walking around making faces because that's all we did at camp. We were like teaching te French preteens how to speak English and do that through making funny faces. <laughs> That's great. That's it. That's it. That was the start of uh, me as I am today. But yeah, like this show that I do down here, I was doing it regularly. I've kind of taken a pause on it for now, but not just because mm. of the pandemic, just with other things. But it's, yes, combining burlesque with dramatic readings of smutty fan fiction. And one of my obsessions, in addition to cheese and milk, is Jeff Goldblum. That man. And for the he is sexy. He is sexy and I am obsessed. I'm super hipster about it though, because I have been in love with Jeff Goldblum since the 90s. Like I left him before it was cool. <laughs> so another one of my friends that performs with me, we realized early on in our friendship that she also has this obsession and not not just this newfangled, like, you know, love, but like this deep, like long lasting thing. So she actually did a number, a Jeff Goldblum based oh. fan fiction. And we just reprised it again at our Orlando Fringe Festival this year. And it is just forever and ever my favorite thing that has ever happened. It's so much oh. fun. Like that's about so like I like doing like silly things, you know, really fun, silly burlesque, typically like like nerdlesque type stuff. Things that I've watched though, like I love I did get to see Dita Von Tees and her crew on stage twice and like Dirty Martini. Do you know Dirty Martini? No. She's famous in our industry. She's like one of the most famous in our world. She's just an incredible burlesque performer. And she's, you know, she's a little larger body, but she is just like owns it. And she's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And just her presence on stage is just amazing. So that's one of my favorites that I've seen. And then outside of burlesque, I don't know, I do a lot of like indie, not indie really, I guess, but like, you know, world premiere type stuff. Like, you know, like stuff that hasn't been produced a lot before. I worked a lot with a playwriting group here in Orlando. So most of the stuff you probably won't know, but I enjoy playing like bitches basically. <laughs> so anytime I get a role where I can just be like a sassy, bitchy woman is right up my alley. Even just the other day at the Orlando Film Festival, I did a table read for a full length screenplay called Profit. And uh, they just had me playing two smaller roles, but one of them was like an evil priestess. And I was like, great, let's go. <laughs> it was so fun. Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh my gosh. So now what, on the other side of that, like what have been really challenging roles for you to play? Have some coffee? Yeah. Well, as you can, I mean, you can probably tell from like my tone, I have a very like, I like contemporary plays. I like, you know, things that are really real and grounded. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a few things that were more classic in nature. Like, for example, I had a role in A Doll's House. Do you know that oh, one? Okay. I don't know if you I know that. So. It's like fairly famous, but it's not. I mean, it's, like most theater people have read it, like had to read it in mm -hmm. school. But it's just, it's a little, I think it was written... It was the like, early, it was like 1910 or something like that. So, you know, the language is a little, it's just different. And mm -hmm. that was challenging for me just because I have kind of this aura or this, you know, this 
I'm just very like casual and modern stuff. So it's always a challenge or like obviously doing anything Shakespeare and stuff like that. Actually, and this is a really interesting topic too. So one really challenging thing is that three times now in theater, and I want to preface this by saying I probably would not do this now. I certainly would not do this now. I didn't know. Three times I have played a transgender woman on stage, mm. three separate times. And so, yeah, so there's the, the conversation about whether that's okay. Sure, sure. I am, I am cisgender. So it probably wasn't great for me to take those roles. I didn't know mm. it at the time. It's not an excuse, but, you know, yeah, it's the reality. Yeah. And um, also we have a fairly small community. Again, that's that's hard to be an excuse. And I don't want to use yeah. that. Yeah, well, I, I also feel like that's, and again, like not, not an excuse, but that just was so common. The, the questioning of it wasn't as public as I feel like it could have been. It could be now because of social media, because of technology, like right. any sort of criticisms about that in the past. Like, I don't know how, how well it would have been publicized. Wow. The first time was in 2011. So it was a decade ago. The first time I played a transgender wow. Oh, wait, is that true? Yeah, because it was twice in the same year, two different shows. So, yeah, it didn't even cross my mind, you know? Yeah. And, and, and that's shitty, and, and I, I'm sorry, but, you know, we grow. We learn and we grow because there was no conversation. Absolutely. So in addition to the, like, the ethics of it, like, is it okay? And, and, you know, passing the mic and everything like that. In addition to all of that, it's just, it's a challenging thing to do because mm. it's not my life experience, you know? Yeah. And that's what acting is, of course, but also... Can I ever not, I mean, definitely not authentically, but you know, we have all these acting, like we have all these techniques to try to imagine. They usually say like acting is living truthfully in imaginary circumstances, but how can I live truthfully in a situation where I'm, you know, I have discovered, yeah. I'm you know, like how, like how, what can I bring to that? How can it, it it's just, it's a challenge. I'm just summarizing. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. I feel like it can easily become more of a like caricature in a like not good way. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, in one of them, I had to play like, you know, someone who was like dealing with her sister who had, you know, disowned her. And then most recently, it was in uh, some of you might know the the movie Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, which Mm -hmm. was a movie. And I forget who all was in it, like Dolly Parton, Cher, I think, a bunch of people. And yeah, and I was, a, you know, coming back to my hometown where I used to hang out with all these girls and I was a boy and then, you know, or I, I was, you know, assigned male and coming back as a woman mm-hmm. in the like, 50s, you know, it just, it, it was a lot to, to try to process, a lot to try to bring to the stage as authentically. Yeah. So, yeah. Not easy. Well, and brought up a lot of conversations, you know. But an important conversation. And I think that, you know, sometimes it has to, it almost has to like come to a head mm-hmm. in a way yeah. in order for the actual conversation to like happen and be productive, not just like happen and just a screaming match. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of work are you doing right now? Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Okay. So the primary stuff, like, day-to-day muggle stuff is I teach English as a second language. So I work, currently I'm working with adults and I have some really awesome, I actually just had, had an in-person brunch because I only have a few students. So we decided to meet in person. We're all vaccinated and everything, don't worry. 
Yes. But yeah, we decided to meet in person today. We still have classes online. So this is the first time. Mm. So I know this one girl that I've been teaching online for over a year. And we've never met in wow. person. And so we just met today. And that was really nice. So that's kind of my, you know, my muggle job. I do really love that. It may not be where my passion is, but I do really, I like connecting with people. And it's just fun to meet people. Then I love grandma. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You kind of work a lot with words right so true and i have that yeah yeah you're right that does make sense (laughs) (laughs) at least in my mind (laughs) i also you know i'm trying to do more performing we're kind of in this weird limbo space of pandemic land so uh during the pandemic with some some friends around here we actually started a theater company called whiskey theater factory so yeah, we've done some virtual events. We did one in-person event so far called Bye Bye Bye. It was an evening exploring plays about an evening of plays exploring bisexuality and pansexuality. So yeah, we're we're focused on kind of amplifying untapped but also historically excluded voices, right? So we're yeah. trying to do the best we can in that in that sense, and just kind of. But we're not making a lot of money from it. We're just kind of trying to do stories that inspire us as we go. I love that. Well, so as an English language learner, educator, teacher, I imagine that there's a little bit of like the rest of you kind of can come through, right? Like you're not, I don't see you as being very um, disingenuous (laughs) (laughs) in the way that you present yourself, (laughs) even to your students. Like how, how do you think that you do things differently from other teachers other educators yeah this is a really good point right because i do put on a little you know we all put on a smile when we're at work like we all put on a little bit of a mask sure but generally i try to kind of be myself and that's you know that can be challenging when you are a queer polyamorous burlesque performer sex educator and you're working with i mean right now my school is primarily brazilians who are amazing mm-hmm. and also some of them are very religious some of them are you know mm-hmm. i had a, a student before from saudi arabia so mm-hmm. a very you know very religious and like so finding that balance has been interesting <laughs> but it's true that i you know we have kind of a joke with my students i often say i have opinions my opinions do not reflect the opinions of liberty language academy say those things because I want to, you know, I want everyone to know that like these are right. But it's been, you know, I I, I parse out the information about myself Mm. slowly, right? At once I know I can trust my students. But it's also really interesting having conversations about stuff that matters, right? And especially over teaching in the last few years with the political situation here in the United States. Yeah. And, and in Brazil, my goodness. And in Brazil, um, I've learned a lot <laughs> about Brazil. Yeah, I believe it. And yeah, like we have some fairly conservative folks who are our mm. students. So, like navigating that line. But I also don't believe in shying away from those conversations because if I'm teaching them how to communicate, they need to know when they're saying things that are rude or they need to know the skills mm. to navigate conversations like that euphemisms and th- you know polite ways to change the topic things like that so we talk about that kind of stuff we do talk about sexuality sometimes not with all of my different classes like i wouldn't talk about that in the class with the Sa- woman from saudi arabia but like right now i have some really really awesome students and we are at a high level and 
we were talking the other day about teachers asking pronouns because one of my my women in my class she has a kid who's in middle school and Mm. the kid's teacher asked everybody's pronouns and she didn't agree with that oh why not so we had a conversation and it was very respectful and she wasn't like aggressive about it and maybe we changed her mind a little bit at the end and you know so we hopefully Yes. Do you work at or attend a college or university? Are you looking to feature a sex educator who can speak to the students about a variety of sexuality topics? Well, your favorite mermaid goddess sex educator is here to work with you and administrators to provide an entertaining and educational experience. I love working with college students, especially because I can keep it real while providing accurate sexual health information. Topics range from pleasure anatomy to pleasure tools to pleasurable permission, pleasure-centered workshop about consent. I can help make sure that the student population can be better equipped humans as they explore the world beyond their homes. To book a workshop with me, Head on over to goddesscecilia.com. That's G-O-D-D-E-S-S-C-E-C-I-L-I-A.com and fill out the form on the contact page. So anyway, I don't know if that answered your question because I can't exactly yeah. question was well, because, I think my question was like, how do you do things differently? I mean, that, that's a, those are great examples because I feel, I mean, being someone who has absolutely no idea how any of those programs work i always imagine that they'd be structured very not rigorous per se but that there is this like set yeah Yeah. curriculum like you know all of this that you're supposed to do so it's great that you have the ability to like yeah be so strict about right and to be fair i'm lucky because i teach we call it the applied english level so i teach like the highest Mm. level after they finish the textbooks so really our class is like up to me, like and the students, like we create it together. And so we create yeah. our own curriculum and we like figure, and it's mostly discussion-based because our school yeah. philosophy is really focused on communication and not just sitting in your book doing exercises. So yeah. that kind of gives us the opportunity to have a little more loose, you know, just have some fun with it. Um, the other school that I teach for, we do have, it's, it's a more rigid schedule. We have mm. textbooks that we follow etc. But we still manage to have some conversations. But I think overall, my philosophy as a teacher is, is my f- same philosophy that I have as an ed- as a you know sex educator, as a burlesque performer, as an actress, is that, oh my God, this sounds so lame. It hasn't even come out of my mouth yet. We're all on this planet to connect with each other. Who said that? Who said that? Um, I say that. Good, good. I don't know if I've ever said that, but I, I probably have. Trying to make you feel better, I appreciate. It. But like, that's it, right? Like my whole like goal, like I, I just I like people. I mean, not always, but in general, like we're not. I'm not gonna like if you show me respect. If we're showing each other respect and we can have conversations and we can have fun, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's, it's just kind of this like everybody relax. Not about politics. I mean, like, look, I get angry with the rest of them about human rights and politics and social justice. I, I, I feel very strongly about those things. But just like in every, you know, in everyday life, it's just, we're, it's about having fun. You know, I don't really believe in like hierarchies generally and mm. kind of like a, let's just work together to do whatever the job is in this moment, you know? Yeah. What do you think that that field, the like 
field of because uh, that's a whole industry in and of itself right the like right. english language learner industry wow. what do you think that that field could learn from the field of sex education i think there's a lot there's a lot i think you know sex ed i one of the things i love about it is that you know we've gone you know it's it's at the forefront of like helping people feel comfortable and trying to be an inclusive space and you know typically in all my facebook groups you know it's it's the sex ed sex educator ones that are discussing terminology like do we use mm -hmm. bipoc like is that the right term right now like what is like what are we doing you know not just around sex but also around humans and social justice and yeah. all of that i mean it's it's by no means perfect the industry but so i think that there's definitely an element of trying to make like a safer space and i know safe space but or a, you know mm. a space that's a little more accepting mm. but it's tough because the industry is is international right like you get yeah. in lots of other countries with other cultures and it's it can be hard to navigate but in that case in that sense i think it's it's almost more important because in the sex ed world you know if you have an industry you're, i'm sorry if you have like a meetup or something you know you ask pronouns mm. like it's just it's established and we don't really do that in the English education world because yeah. some people might be uncomfortable and because it's all politicized and, you know, all of this. And I think that it would actually be more, even more beneficial than it is in the sex ed world to do that in the English education world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like there's this sense of like, like what, what I hear that you are bringing to the work that you're doing there is that you're kind of bringing humanity into yeah. it you know what i mean because it isn't so it doesn't have to be as like rigorous as like following an exact curriculum and yeah. being able to talk about like actual things that are happening in life <laughs> you know the ability to yeah like recognize each other's humanity i like that yeah, yeah that sounds cheesy well i like that that's that's good that's what it is right it's about yeah about just like especially when you have students who have never lived in an English speaking country, because mm. to them, English is literally a language. It, it's literally a subject from school or yeah. and, and movies and TV shows. But like it, you know, I've talked to several who like almost feel that like, it's not even real. Like English is not even a real thing because like they don't, they've never lived here. They don't know. So really giving that opportunity to show that, I mean, yes, we work on grammar, we work on specifics, but we also sure. are, just communication right and and the humanity and getting we're all humans and we're all that you know and i will say i have had the pronoun conversation with several classes mm. and it's really interesting especially when oh, we're yeah. talking folks from romance languages or germanic languages where they have that really gendered language it always brings up really interesting conversations so. oh i'm kind of curious though like what are what are some things that people have said like like i think it often just comes from a place most people just like don't get it at first you know <laughs> like many people in, in all countries right but yeah i mean we've talked about it like compared to their languages i was actually just reading an article the other day about germany's reckoning with non-gendered language and how they're trying to and i don't have any german students to talk about this with but these are the similar types of conversations that have come up it's in our language all we have to do is change he or she right yeah. and that's enough of a struggle, right? Like that's hard enough. There's so many people, yes. Yeah, There's so many people. But you go to other languages where like, I think it was Hanover, Germany. I don't remember which city, but we'll use Hanover as an example. 
when they talk about inhabitants of the city Hanover, they would use the word like Hanoverian or something. Mm. And there's a different ending for ma- a group of men versus a group of women. And if it's a mixed group, it defaults to the ending for men. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whiteboard no, I get it. And people are talking about that. Like, is that reinforcing the patriarchy? Is that saying that the men, you know, are the leaders of the group? So they, we get their mm-hmm. ending. And how can we change that? Because like, this is like built into the language, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is the neutral version of that? Because just like for us, they have an it but nobody wants to be called an it. Nobody wants the it right, right. ending for their for their noun or pronoun. It's a whole thing. Mm. Yes. I have to say yes, because that is, how do I get into this without getting extremely angry? There's currently, there's the Filipinos in the Philippines, and then there's the Filipinos in the whole diaspora, right? Mm-hmm. And like Filipino American is like different from Filipino Canadians. Filipino Canadians are generally happier. There's like Filipinos in Europe. There's Filipinos in the Middle East. We're freaking everywhere, right? <laughs> but in a lot of the like Facebook groups that I've seen, like anytime someone wants to use the word Philippinex, which was the way I understood the history of it is that it was adapted from the attempt at Latinx, mm-hmm. right? But, and I know that that's not widely utilized anymore within the Latin I think they, they're, the preference, it, I feel, is Latin A with an E at the end. I think that there's still a, a lot of, like, questions about that. But, like, a lot of people here in the U.S., at least, use Philippinex if they are non-binary if they're gender non-conforming, it mm-hmm. is a moniker that they've chosen. Mm-hmm. But the Filipinos in the Philippines are like, I don't understand why you think that the Fil- that Filipino is a gendered language when Filipino is just, it, the O isn't a signifier of male or anything like that. So like even saying Filipina doesn't necessarily make sense. And it was just like, except that we have roots, we have a history of, being colonized by Spain and the U.S. Right, right. Which Spanish is a very gendered language. Yeah. And even so much of our words in common, in com- in the, like, national Filipino language, which is ridiculous because there's, like, a bajillion languages in the <laughs> Philippines. Like, even that sometimes we'll use, like, Spanish-rooted words. And so <laughs> I've had to get into, like, conversations with people. like. I don't understand why it's so hard to, like, this is just how someone wants to identify. If someone wants to identify them that way, let them, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> let them. It doesn't reflect on you, and it right. doesn't mean that they don't recognize Filipino as a word. It's just them identify, And it's just like, but it, it makes me laugh whenever they say, like, oh, but Filipino is not gendered. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it is. Like, do you call your tito? Tita, yeah. do you like there's Tita, there's Tita, there's Lolo, there's Lola, and I know that those also have Spanish roots. And also, if we're gonna go into like the indigenous languages, like there is a little bit less of the gendered language, mm-hmm. and yet the common language that everyone is it's just like it's so crazy. And and it that's so interesting because I hadn't 
thought about you. Yeah. And, and obviously like Latino, Latina is a easy, easy example that everybody knows about. Right. And, but I think it's a, like, a like you just Googled up, like you said earlier, like a reckoning yeah. for a lot of different communities. And, and like I said, it kind of gives me some perspective for English. Cause like, we have it a little easier. At least we're just dealing with he, she, and they. Like at least right. that. But yeah, like all these languages, especially these, you know, romance-based languages, but also again the Germanic ones. Just what it just frustrates me is that people don't get it that language is fluid. Like language changes, language evolves. <laughs> right. And but it has evolved into what we're what we're using now. Like it boggles my mind that they don't get that. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the part that I'm just like, dear God, like, right. how do you think we got here, literally, to the speech that we're using? Right, exactly. So this is the stuff that I find really interesting about doing, you know, about language education and that kind of intersection with, oh, and we've been talking a lot lately about how language reflects culture, which is a whole, you know, yeah. which is what we've been talking about is a portion of the bigger picture of that. There's a really great book that one of my students actually recommended to me, talk about flipping the script, and hey. it's called The Culture Map. And it's about all of these different ways that we, you know, our, our language reflects our culture and vice versa. So if you're interested in that geeky stuff, like I am, definitely check it out. Because it's, oh my oh, gosh, cool. it's so cool. It's so interesting. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. I'm aware of the time. I have one and a half oh questions God. left. What is a hard truth about being in the performance world that most people are not? ready for i think the biggest thing for me and you know of course i'm thinking a lot about acting but this is true for burlesque as well is that mm -hmm. people are bringing their whole selves to art for better mm -hmm. or for worse sometimes i wish we could separate it a little bit more but i think that it's a hard truth that people are like superficially aware of but they don't really get it that this is like a deep deep thing right yeah. and like we are especially like acting and burlesque both like this kind of performance art i'm not saying more so than visual art i'm just not a visual artist so i can't speak to that yeah. performance art and so performance art like it is we are bearing our our souls out there right like there's this joke about theater school like yeah going to you know engineering school will be hard but do you have to wake up at 8 30 in the morning and go cry in front of your whole class during a scene you know or have your teacher like break you down because we're not acting yeah. like we're crying we, we need to get the best actors get to a point where they're you know they're feeling things and yeah and so it's yeah. a really raw and vulnerable thing and i think that a lot of actor a lot of performers don't give each other enough grace in this mm. world and a lot of non-performers don't give don't really realize that kind of rawness, you know, I mean, you know, I've also yeah. trained and worked a bit as an intimacy coordinator for stage work. And um, unfortunately, there's not a ton of work. And that's a that's a hard truth that the industry isn't ready for is that it's necessary mm. to put it in your freaking budget. If you're making a thing, you need if there are intimate scenes, you need to hire an intimacy coordinator, period. Hello. Yes. But aside from that, you know, intimacy is more than just a sex scene. And I think that, yeah, I think that people inside and out of the industry aren't quite ready to grapple with how intimate it is and how, how hard it is to bring that, you know, we just like turning on Netflix and watching it and we don't realize what goes into it. Yeah. I know. Okay. Okay. What are you currently finding pleasure in? 
Well, speaking of Netflix, I'm obsessed. I, I watch so much TV and I just call it research. So I'm rewatching Community right now and like Community oh, so good. Ever. It's so good. So that's bringing me a lot of pleasure. Obviously, cheese and milk always do. I think what's bringing me pleasure is the fact that I feel a little bit recommitted to my acting career. I'm actually working mm. to get more into film. And I am trying, and I am not just trying, I am actually, I am taking advantage of this online world where we're all comfortable and a lot of online classes are happening to take and audit a lot of classes that are based out of LA and things like that. Nice. So I've taken, you know, four or five of those and it is really, it's not easy and it's stressful and it's scary, but it's bringing me a lot of joy because I, I feel like I'm on, a, on like the path that I need to be on. I love it. Oh, that's exciting. Also, I'm exercising for the first time in my life, like regularly. Who am I? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Wow. It's kind of fun. Who am I? Who says that? It happens. It's those endorphins. They get you. I guess so. They hook you in. (laughs) So how can people find you? Well, um, you can, I don't know. I'm in the process of kind of transitioning because a lot of my stuff has been burlesque based. And as Mm -hmm. my, you know, I'm following my intuition, I'm kind of moving away from that. You know, if you want to follow burlesque type stuff here on Instagram, Velvet Claire is the best place for that. Um, I'm working on a new website for like myself, but it's not really ready yet. If you're interested Sounds in good. theater stuff, again, here in Orlando, but a lot of our stuff is virtual, so you can catch it anywhere. Whiskey Theater Factory. And whiskey and theater are both spelled the correct way, both with an E, with an extra E, right? Whiskey and theater, R-E. Whiskey <laughs> Theater Factory is that. But yeah, and then uh, I don't know what else is going on. I don't know where. I'm <laughs> That's it. That's it. I can always, That's I can always let you know later on uh, if I'm ever going to. There you go. Yeah. All right, my friend. Perfect timing. Thank you so much for hanging with me at any time. You know, I I have opinions. I can talk for hours, obviously, and I miss seeing your face. So I'm always happy to see your face. So everybody who joined us. Thank you so much for joining us in the live. I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this conversation. But thank you all for joining us. We'll see you all next week on The Raw Bar. Thank you, Kate. Thanks. Bye. Well, friends, it's time to go our separate ways. I hope your body and brain are fully satiated and stimulated from today's episode. Make sure you rate and review today's episode and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Lastly, head on over to goddesscecilia.com. That's G-O-D-D-E-S-S-C-E-C-I-L-I-A.com to find out how you can connect with my guests and me and how you can be a part of the Raw Bar regulars. See you next time.